Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Central. How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast with all the latest in tech from around Ireland and of course around the world. Remember, as well as our show on air with RTE and online via the website or your favourite podcasting app, we keep you up to date on all things tech every day with hourly updates and daily newsletters, which you can grab for free at techcentral.ie. Joining me as always is our Tech Central editor, Niall Kitson. Before we jump into Facebook, which is still, I won't even say it's rumbling on, because it's a lot louder than just rumbling. Uh, some other good news for people who are heading on their holidays this summer, tech-wise. Pray tell. Ah, now, this is a story that I think is very interesting because on the surface it makes you go fantastic, but there's a catch. Uh-oh. Right? So, okay, here is the, the, the short version, right? We all know about the European digital single market, the idea of being able to do business across borders using digital services. Um, for example, if you are shopping, uh, if you're an Irish person shopping in France, sorry, shopping in Paris, in France, and you see something, you shouldn't have to fork out a premium because you're using a digital service uh, effectively, right? And part of that is the general data protection regulation. Part of that is the commitment to having a better broadband mm. across Europe. Um, so there are all these little things that tie into it. And part of that is ensuring the availability of digital services, again, uh, across the EU. So, uh, an announcement that was made this week, and it comes into force next week, um, is that Irish digital services for Irish people will now be available across Europe. Doesn't that sound great? It sounds fantastic. My personal experience with uh, across Europe is banking, because when you travel around Europe now, the gone are the days of travellers' checks and all that. You just go to the hole in the wall and you take your money out, and it's the same price that you would pay back in Ireland. Uh, mm. And it's the same with mobile phones as well. You just you just use your phone in Europe, and it's the same price as you would pay in Ireland. I think it's fantastic. Okay, here's the catch. Oh right. no! Okay, go on. Yeah, and there is a catch. And it, it's the exact same as the Rome-like home thing that we dealt with a few months ago, okay? The idea is that the service that you have is the same service, uh, or rather, the service that you get when you travel is the same service that you have at home, Yeah, but no better, right? Yeah. So if you go traveling, if you're an Irish person and you have access to RTE player or something like that, right, or TV3 player, uh, you can still access those when you go abroad, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be able to access BBC iPlayer when you go abroad, right? It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily remove geoblocking. And this specifically refers to digital services like Netflix, right? So you have, we have the UK and Ireland catalogue for Netflix. That's fine. If we go abroad, you're not necessarily going to get access to Netflix Germany. Okay. Now, you said this is a catch. Do you think that's a bad thing? I think it's all about preserving the user experience that you're familiar with, yeah. right? So if you if you go to a country and you're expecting, we'll say, a 100 megabit connection because that's what the local network can afford, but you're only on a 10 megabit connection at home, that's your cap. You don't get to experience any better. Um, that's not enshrined. Um, what is now enshrined is you can take the services that you're used to and even though you hit a territory where they're not available, um, you can still have them. But no better. 
I still don't get where you're coming from. <laughs> There's a catch. <laughs> do you know what I? Do you know what I think? I think what you're playing is 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 one of these where it's kind of like you know, oh, it's great because when I'm away, I get all the channels. <laughs> Well, yes. Whereas, that's, no, that's whereas exactly normally it. at home, I'd only get half the channels. But why would you expect that? I, 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 I don't agree with you, respectfully. Well, that's okay. My but leader. I mean, if <laughs> I, I, I understand to to a certain point what's going on, yeah. but. Um, I think you should be able to reap the benefits of... Actually, no, this actually works in the other direction. I think this puts the onus on service providers to harmonise their offerings. Because, you know, you there shouldn't be separate Netflix licensing um, across Europe and Ireland and the UK. There shouldn't be separate agreements because if we're all uh, travelling towards this digital single market, it should just be one set of rules. Actually, that's that. I will agree with you there. Absolutely, that uh, you know, kind of, if you're gonna if you're gonna launch a product in Europe, uh, any kind of digital content, it should be available across all of Europe, and just treat Europe as a single market. But Europe yes. is kind of a little bit different. You you would say the same thing maybe about the the states. It's easy enough to do, or Australia is easy enough to do. But Europe is is different because there's so many different languages. Well, so that's true. Yeah. You really do have to kind of customize your product for for each of the ones. But uh, but yeah, I, I see where you go. I mean, it is good. It is good news, and I love the fact that you know, kind of when I'm off on the holidays this year, getting a little bit of sunshine, I can bring my Netflix with me just in case it rains in Spain. <laughs> Aha. <laughs> Maybe not. Uh, also happening in the news today. Tell me quickly about uh, Apple because they had a big launch this week where they're trying to get into schoolrooms. Well, classrooms, if you will. Mm. Um, <clears throat> yeah, Apple had a, a launch this week and it was flagged for a while that, uh, you know, it's like, oh, Apple, big announcement. You know, it's 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 going to be in a school, I think, in, in California as well. Uh, so I was like, oh, OK, it's going to be the education market. We're going to get a stripped down version of the, the iPad specifically for education. And it'll be an all right device, but it won't be fantastic. Uh, what we actually got was um, a little bit of an upgrade to the 9.7 inch iPad. Um, which uh, is getting a little bit of a price drop. Uh, it's down to 369 on applestore.ie, which that's still pricey enough piece of hardware. But uh, what they're touting with it is it is now compatible with the Apple Pencil. Yay! <laughs> Um, it also talked about uh, two apps that uh, that they were uh, releasing, one of which is to do a classroom management, uh, which you'll be able to do on an iPad as well as a Mac. So that's kind of cool. And it sort of sits within what they call classroom, which is sort of a digital learning environment, um, uh, which you can access uh, via the web. So. Mm-hmm. Um, the curriculum is called Every, Everyone Can Create, which is a very noble uh, sentiment. And I think that actually reminds me of the digital creator um, scheme that Apple ran a couple of years ago. Um, and the idea was get iPads into kids' hands and get them off making things, you know, get them making short films, get them get, get them used to using technology as a learning tool. Um, and I think that was very laudable and, and very... Um, uh, on, on one side, yep, absolutely. The more familiar people are with technology, the better. On the other, there is the element of get them while they're young. Thoughts, Dusty? Uh, I'm I'm actually kind of in uh, two camps in this. I'm with you in that it is great to get kids thinking uh, electronically. I mean, banks have been doing this for years with kids in your first bank account and save your money and stuff like that. Get them young. Um I think it's good that they you have tablets for years with kids in your first bank account and save your money and stuff like that. Get them young. Um, 
I think it's good that they you have tablets in schoolrooms and that kids are using computers more and they're using it to explore and create. So on that side, I think it's good. However, if my kid came home and said, I need 380 euro to buy an iPad because the school curriculum is telling me I need it, I would go absolutely insanely crazy. Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of schools are looking at this going, yeah, yeah that's nice, but I mean, yeah. you know, we're it, struggling it does, to keep it up with what we have. It does feel like robbery for, for one particular company, but I mean, Folans have been doing that for years. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, if you corner the market in textbooks, you're doing pretty well, aren't you? I suppose it's just I'm only taking the, a, a bit of fun with Folans. But it, it is. <laughs> it's kind of like, what, what I don't like about it, I mean, school books is fine, right? Because you've got lots of different publishers. Um do you have that with schools? You know, they use laptops in schools or they're using Chromebooks in schools. Uh, you've got that option. Apple is another option. You see, it's just, it's back to the old, when you buy into Apple, you buy into Apple for life because it just can't be used with anything else. And I, that's probably just back to the thing I don't like. Yeah, but do you know, do you know what schools should be using? What? Kindles. Do you know what schools should be using is Raspberry Pis. Oh, yeah, yeah. But you need a lot of screens. You need an awful lot of screens to make that a viable No, classroom. you just need one screen and then let them, um, I don't know, <laughs> give them 10 minutes fight each. over it. Give them 10 minutes <laughs> each. <laughs> oh, whatever. Anyway, listen, uh, we have an interview this week, uh, which we're going to listen to in just a minute, but it's to do with Facebook. Were you impressed or not impressed with Mark Zuckerberg's Minions letter to the UK MPs earlier this week? I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're in a lot of trouble. We don't want to talk about it. That's that's the summary, really, isn't it? I, I thought that's pretty, yeah, that's pretty much it. But I love the way if you read the entire text of it, um, and it's kind of like, oh, you're concerned, and you know, Mister Zuckerberg has decided to send his most important people to go and talk to you. That's how important it is to us. And <laughs> what a nice way of yeah. telling you to go jump. But uh, yeah. at the very end, the very last line, uh, they're talking about the amount of people who were infected or dare I say infected by Professor Kogan's app or who were affected by the app I should say and had the data taken and stuff like that without their knowledge Uh, they say that uh, we can now confirm that around 1% of global downloads of the app came from users in the EU oh and that includes the UK Right. It's like try to make them feel as small as they possibly can. Yeah. Back in your box. Exactly. Well, I think that's only going to get their back up, not put their back in the box. But anyways, listen, uh, earlier on, uh, you were out chatting to uh, Kevin Coidle, who's a researcher at the Adapt Centre, and he's working on a project called Bigfoot Digital, all about your digital footprint. and how You can protect yourself with Facebook and other apps and stuff like that. Let's take a listen to that now. So, Kevin, as somebody who's studied what's going on in social media and the data that social networks collect uh, about us every day, is what has happened at the moment with Facebook surprising in terms of the security measures and the way people have reacted to it? I would say the reaction, uh, I believe, is is very surprising. There's um, a very strong uproar or almost like a mini revolution against social media now. I mean, we we see movements such as delete Facebook or delete Facebook account and so forth. And it is surprising that this is so intense because there has been enough warning signs and definitely enough debate around the fact that social media companies need to exploit personal data 
to create revenue and to provide the technology. Therefore, it is it is a little bit surprising that it's so intense, but at the same time, it's it's very very positive because it creates an opportunity to 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 reshape the debate and to put enough pressure on social media providers to to fix these issues. And and we can see the reactions of Facebook just today posting that they've completely revamped their privacy settings into one page where you can see what your data is and you can you can control your data and, and they're doing more work in that space and that's that's a very, very positive sign. Do you think the extent of the data being collected on users has sort of it's it's almost been comical the way that it's been received because i you know pe- people have seemed to just assume that the things that they like is what's being accumulated with facebook when in fact it goes much much deeper than that when you're looking at metadata attached to calls and pictures and this kind of thing yeah um i think i think there's a there's an ethos within technology, or specifically in, in technology companies, which is just collect what you can and then figure out what is useful or what can be used for applications afterwards. So it's kind of turned into this um, situation where um, your, your smartphone has almost turned into a... A, a data hoover. Any sensor is switched on. Any any information that is legally collectible is being collected and stored and and then used in some way down the road. I mean, there's there's there's, um, there's experiments um, that some social media providers do, which is randomly switch on your microphone while you're watching television, just to find out if you're watching the Super Bowl and just to push the ads while you're doing a second screen experience. And, and those kind of experiments are ongoing, which, which mean that in the middle of the conversation at home or in, in the office, uh, microphones are switched on without your knowledge. But again, it's not really surprising. If we look at all the home devices, if we look at Google Home, if we look at Alexa, people are putting microphones into their house that are voice controlled and that literally are, are the same thing as your smartphone. So, so it's, not, it's, it's not as if people don't know this. It's, it's, it, it seems to be psychologically more people know it, but they don't want to know it. There's a weird kind of a, a thing there. Like it's, almost, it's almost like you, um, you just want to have the benefits, but not the responsibility over it. It's kind of a bizarre sense of betrayal, really, isn't it? Um, well, I don't know. It's 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 kind of like a Faustian. Like it's 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 almost like a, a bargain. Like I wouldn't say a bargain with the devil or something like that. But it's it's kind of like you, um, like we want to have this technology. We want to have these features. We want to have Facebook and we want Alexa and we want Google Home and we want all, we want all this amazing stuff because it is very convenient. It makes life easier in many ways. Communication easier makes the it just it it just helps um, and. And on the flip side, it's actually about trust because most users would trust Facebook or Amazon or Google with this data to provide this service and not exploit this trust. So at the end of the day and also in the, like the core of this entire debate, especially around Facebook, is actually around trust. It, 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 it always comes down to trust. And, and I think that's what scares um, leaders like Mark Zuckerberg in this space because they just see this as a breach of trust, and it can actually cost him his job. Like, if, if he doesn't fix this, he might not be the CEO anymore, because this trust has to be repaired and brought back. And I guess, sort of, if that trust isn't there, then you have regulation, which is, which is something that Zuckerberg is actually 
said that, you know, maybe maybe we do need some sort of regulation, but I guess you could say that with every point you concede on regulation is something that's directly going to affect the, the efficacy of the, of the network or its share value or, or whatever. Yeah, um, regulation is an interesting point, and I actually, um, I actually think um, that this is my own opinion, that Facebook is the biggest social experiment that this planet has ever seen. I mean, we're talking about 2 billion users approximately on one platform, one piece of technology. And I actually believe that Zuckerberg and his team and most of the thinkers and, and, and people designing this, they don't really know how to deal with this. It, it's just become so big and so complex that it's hard for me to imagine how to even start regulating this. So it's, it, it, it has to be treated like an experiment. It's actually like a research experiment. So these things, like what happened now with the data breach in Facebook, are actually good because we're learning how to deal with this. And it's not as if there's a group of people in Facebook that are deliberately doing this and actually know it could be done different. Nobody knows how this thing works. It's never been done before on that scale, and, and there's no way anybody can pop up and dictate how this gets regulated because two months later, technology changes again, behavior of people changes, and then you have to regulate it again. It's, it's just ongoing. Uh, so let's look at Bigfoot Digital, which is the project you've been working on mm -hmm. for the last three or four years. Um, and it, effectively, it's about helping people understand their digital presence and, and manage it. So tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah, so in, in its, in, in essentially it's, it's a research experiment. It's, it's, it's basically a, uh, an experiment to identify if users are actually aware of their behavior. So the, the, it, it always comes down to trust again. So what, we, what we're doing, what we did, uh, basically uh, looking at the data, it's, it's very interesting to, to see how, 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 how the behavior is. What we're doing is we're asking users specifically what they think they are doing on social media. Like, how often do they like a picture every day? How, how like... Do they, do they, how often do they comment? Like just, just a few explicit questions in a questionnaire. And then we check on their profile if what they think they're doing matches what they are actually doing. And one is the perceived and one is the, the actual footprint that you're leaving. Um, and, and this is really interesting because as you said earlier, there's a real, like in digital footprints or in your, in your data profiles, there's two sides. There's one is the explicit. It's what I'm doing explicitly. It's like the likes I give, the, the comments, the, the views. And then there's all the stuff under the hood, the implicit f uh, f uh, footprint, which is, which is not so easy to see. All the metadata, like who do I contact, how often, what time do I, how long do I spend time on a page, and so forth. And we, we found out that there's, there's, there's two sides here. There's one, we seem to, we seem to be very much into knowing exactly, perceiving exactly, or being fully aware of what other people do on the data that, you, that I put out. Like if I put out a picture, if I put out a photo, if I put out a statement, I know exactly how many likes I get, comments I get. I like focus on that. But what I don't focus on and what I forget very quick is the likes I give on other stuff. And that stuff is really interesting for profiling. And that's the data that's really valuable because that profiles me into a certain political direction or a certain interest and so forth. And we just forget that. And it's stored. And we as humans change, but the data still represents something. So that's, that's, that, that's, that, that's one of the outcomes we, get out of, we got out of Bigfoot. Um, and and it's, in, it's just interesting to, to see. And there's, there's also differences in ages. Like the, the, I would say the most problematic age is, 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 is like my age, 35 to 45 and older. Um, 
because we didn't grow up with this. The, the younger, like the below 20, the teenagers, even though everybody gives them slack and says, oh, they're always on social media and so forth, they actually know exactly what they're doing. Like they, the profiles totally match. They know exactly what they're doing with what they're not doing, and, and it's, it's pretty amazing to see that. I think that's an interesting point uh, when you look at what the, the 35s and overs are doing versus what the kids are doing. Um, the kids seem to be much more interested in closed networks. Um, you know, they're doing Snapchat, they're doing WhatsApp, whereas um, older people seem to gravitate towards more broadcast networks like Facebook and Twitter. Um, do you see any particular sort of rationale behind that? Do you, do you think it is the difference between closed networks being more palatable than open networks? Yeah, I think there's a big... Um there's a very big tendency um, there that, especially Snapchat taking off because of the zero history, which is not the case anymore, but that's the way the network started. And there's other um, chat apps that actually completely anonymize. Like, they even switch the colors and the names in the chat. It's like a WhatsApp group, but then when you're talking to people, it switches names and switches colors so that you don't know who is who, and it's completely anonymized. Some of those had to be shut down because the bullying was really bad in some schools and, and led to, to very... Um, bad situations and um, generally it's come to the point where um, in many cases after parties teenagers share their images and, and experiences via um, like very simple Wi-Fi connections or, or just doing airdrop which is just the computers in the room and I personally believe that that's a more natural or more futuristic um, scenario for social media like the social networks I believe have to evolve around the experiences you have in that time and moment not, not so much my 1,000 friends on Facebook. I don't even know anymore most. Like I, most of those people I don't even know. Like that, that's not really a natural way to build a social network. Um, so I think the, the teenagers or the behavior of the teenagers is definitely leading towards what social media and social networks should be. And I think it, similar to trust, again, it comes down to one thing, and in this case, it's control. Because you're controlling it. Your parents don't, doesn't, can't see it. Your teachers don't see it. You just, you just control this thing. You can switch it off. You can delete. You know, you have complete control over it. Um, I think when, when you're looking towards that um, issue of control, this really is Facebook's Achilles heel, really, isn't it? That, that it's not a distributed network, it's, it's completely centralised. Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's, a very, um, interesting, there's a very interesting fact here that, that the, the entire commercial construct, like the fact that the whole value of this company and its share price is, is determined by, by, by the value of the data, obviously, because profits have to be made and the data is being sold to third parties for advertisement. That's, that's most of the revenue. And um, that is only possible through a centralized architecture, at least the only way I'm aware of it. And, and at the same time, that's the challenge, because you, you, you cannot... You cannot create a situation where the users completely control everything and, and, and then try to commercially exploit it at the same time. So, so we're kind of lacking in society or even in technology at this point, we're lacking alternatives that are more decentralized and, and, and give the control back to the users and are easy to use. Like, there are, there's a couple of decentralized social networks out there. One is, one is Diaspora, which is a very good one. Um, but it's just always the same problem. People are not on it, they have to install technology and so forth, but that can also be solved. It just, it just needs a bit of a push into that direction and then we could get those technologies. Uh, it sounds like you almost need sort of a, a Gmail style approach where, where you have a very um, 
very rigid. You've got 50 invites and you know it develops a, a certain amount of uh, exclusivity coupled with a, a very unique feature set. Yes, um, that that is yeah. But, but even then, I would argue you would need you would then need email addresses. So I'm, I'm kind of even thinking um, it is technologically possible now. And if we if we if we look a bit ahead, like five, ten, fifteen years, if we take um, IoT infrastructure, so um, if we take um, Internet of Objects or, or basically technology where objects are identifiable. So this table has some kind of beacon and it knows that it's a table in a, in a, in a research center. Um, and we're in a way socializing around this table. So this table could be part of my social network. So this table could help me define what my social network is. So the two of us are sitting at this table. There's absolutely no reason why our technology, our phones, don't connect at this point, build a small social network, identify the table, which is beeping and saying, I'm a table at a conference center, and, I, and we two sitting at this table. So you already have a contextualized social network around a setting in research with the two of us. So that, 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 could, help, that could just happen. That could just be in my device and without email addresses or anything, without access to any data. It could be completely decentralized. And then later on, I could decide in a visual interface or within virtual reality or whatever the visualization, um, if I want to add this to a more persistent or long-term social network or if I want to delete it. or it, it, We have the technology to, to create more organic or more evolving social networks around our environment. Um, we just didn't do it yet. And that was Niall Kitson chatting to Kevin Coidle, who's a researcher at the Depth Centre on the Bigfoot Digital Project. That's almost it for our show this week. The programme is supported by irishjobs.ie for the latest jobs, particularly in the IT sector. And from IT recruiters, do visit techcentral.ie forward slash jobs. That address again techcentral.ie forward slash jobs and it's all powered by Irish Jobs. Now, just before we go, we've got one more little thing that's on the website uh, that we couldn't squeeze into our Facebook chat today. What is it? Yeah, we've got we've got a, a couple of nice little articles on, on how-tos this week and one of them is how to download your Facebook data, which is something everybody should do. Absolutely. You can get the lowdown on that and all things tech in Ireland and around the world with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website, techcentral.ie. And of course, listen to us every single week online or Fridays at 5pm on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, and from Niall Kitson, have a fantastic Easter weekend and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie.